Hey friends, this is Marsha Epstein and this is Talk With Me. I am in beautiful Lawrence, Kansas, where the sun is out. The night days that have not been so much lately. And I'm sitting here as I often have a pile of poetry next to me, some new, some that's been around for a while, some that's this kid's book. And I'm gonna go ahead and say, I think everybody needs to see this. It's the book, This is a Poem That Heals Fish. It's beautiful in all the ways, this kid trying to understand what is poetry and getting all these different answers from people. It's beautiful, it's touching for the kid in all of us, whatever age we are. And some people may be familiar with it for a lot of different reasons, including brain pickings. That's how I heard about it. But I've got this cool thing. I love poetry. I had this great conversation on Saturday. As, as people find out about me or already know, as I say, I live at the intersection of art and mental health. I'm a social worker who works mostly in suicide prevention, um, reducing suicide risk, which means helping people have lives that are really worth living. Um, and I also work a lot with trans and gender nonconforming youth. And I know that creativity and art give people wonderful experiences of connection, of belonging, important stuff. So um, that is one of my things, one of my reasons for doing what I do on both sides, the art side and the mental health side. And I get these opportunities that happen in different ways. And today is one of those opportunities that, that happens in different ways. Um, I get to introduce those listeners who don't already know this person to a poet who is going to be coming to the Kansas City area and lots of other places. Welcome, Buddy Wakefield. Hey, hey thanks for hey. having me. I'm glad to get to talk to you. You are a couple hours earlier than me, and so this is a very morning recording for you. Um, and people may be listening <laughs> in the middle of the night. Yeah, so so people cut us some slack. You know how it is. If you're not a morning person, <laughs> I really yeah. would like to be a morning person. It's it's something I it's something I aspire to be. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm I'm not yet I'm not yet in love with being a morning person. <laughs> so tell us a little bit, a few highlights about who you are, who, this Buddy Wakefield character. What are a couple things that people might want to know as we start this conversation? All right. This Buddy Wakefield character, a couple of things. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, was the, uh, the fattest baby ever born in my hospital in Shreveport, Louisiana, until my cousin Zane came along one ounce heavier. That's thing number one. Thing number two is that I'm now in Los Angeles after uh, 17 years in Seattle, growing up mostly in Texas. I'm now here in Los Angeles in love with my trajectory, living a life governed by frequent specific serendipity. Mm -hmm. Ah, I like it. I like it. I like that word serendipity as you've already experienced. I have to ask Texas, what region of Texas were you in? Uh, I grew up mostly in Baytown, Texas. It's about 20 miles east of Houston. And I went to college at Sam Houston State University, okay. uh, just north of Houston. 
I, I asked because my growing up was mostly in the Texas panhandle. And as I say, after I left there, I learned to talk like a human being. <laughs> I, I just had a Uber. I just had an Uber or Lyft ride last night, uh, and uh, he asked what I missed about Texas, and I told him the way people talk and the hospitality. Ah. Well, I think you'll find fabulous hospitality when you come to this Midwest area for the poetry things that you're doing, but we won't talk like Texans unless we are Texans, I guess. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes me think of those regional things people say, as well as accents. I don't know if you've ever crossed paths with Nicole Brown, who has a book uh, that is based on phrases that her southern grandmother would say. This this great poetry that just cracks you <laughs> up. Because you could picture this lady with her big hair. There, there are photos of her, too. And her cigarettes and her, I can't remember what kind <laughs> of beverage was her choice. Saying these wild things like, oh, man, yeah, everybody needs a grandma like that. <laughs> yeah, the Texas Big Hair Mafia is not, not a crew to be messed with. <laughs> I look at pictures of my mom from that time, and it's like, oh, my God. I don't really remember her, but we have I, I have this picture of her with this huge beehive hair and, and like, circles under her eyes. It's like, this is kind of scary. This is not the mom I remember thinking this. <laughs> The, the beehive hair in the in the bags under the eyes of smoking a pack of Dorales a day. Anyway, getting, getting those cheap, getting those cheap dollar thirty nine Dorel cigarettes. <laughs> she was into those long ones. I can't Virginia Slims or whatever. I think at that point, whatever right. they were, something, something <laughs> and tab. A tab was her beverage of choice. But anyway, I love you, mom. <laughs> um, I I am always really interested in how people got started and kept writing poetry. Um, and and when I was started in at the beginning of the show and saying about the art mental health connection and and hearing how important people's art is to them, you know, all of that, I'm really interested in that because there there are lots of different ways to communicate, lots of different forms of expression, lots of different kinds of art, and you are so known for your performance poetry. So tell us a little bit about you know sort of how you got into that group, how you realized that's who you are. You know, oh, thank you. And looking back, it's easier to peg in, in hindsight the reality that I was living to what I now understand to be the formula for my my healthiest living, and which is to play to my highest excitement with zero expectations of the outcome. And I mean zero expectations. And I think I had that around writing. I uh, No one ever made me write. It was something I really liked to do. I always enjoyed exploring that aspect of creativity and uh, I was was excited about it and I even at a young age started to build a little identity around it in school and um, so yeah I was just playing to my highest excitement with zero expectations of the outcome and eventually uh, because of of behaving that way eventually ended up making a living doing it Um, (laughs) I also well, that's a way to look at it because I didn't expect anything. Hey. 
and and then I think also just a on a on a more substantial level, I was you know gr- I was growing up gay in Texas with. Uh, a lot of marriages going on around me, sort of a pastime for my family to just get married to different people a lot and, and to pass around a bunch of misinformation um, politically, religiously, and otherwise. And uh, and so dealing with the f- fact that everybody responsible for my information <laughs> coming into this world and my safety and the people I looked up to and loved and admired that I knew inherently believed that... Uh, being gay was wrong and I was going to burn forever. Like, you know, I was really working on changing that behind the scenes and, and doing everything I could. And so to, pro- to focus on um, my, my scattered mind, I think writing was an, is an amazing process for me to get to speak to what's important uh, from my perspective and, and start digging around at, to get to the root of the issue as, as, as quick as possible turns out I'm still uh, writing and still being excited about all the roots that I'm uncovering, which turns out aren't all dark. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's, it's gosh, timing things. So yesterday I'm listening to Pandora Station, Girly Man, and I hear this song I never heard before, which is called Michelangelo, and, and the chorus of the song is basically, you know, your parents didn't know what they had. How did, how could you know you would become Michelangelo? It's like, and you just, you know, you just talk about your family and then your writing as like, whoa, is that the Indigo man. Girls? That girly, girly man is the group that, that has that Michelangelo song. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. And and it really struck me, those, those many, too many who do not experience the love and adoration, which I think kids deserve, you know. Um, some people get it from one parent. Some people get it from none. Some fortunate people get it from both. But uh, I, I think some of the people I know who are creative um, didn't get it from anybody in terms of their parents. And need a lot of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so they, and, and so we, we, find, we find a way to, I, I think... Uh, I don't know if it's self-preservation or, or, or what it qualifies as, but finding a way to get swiped through that approval meter, that, that something that says, I, I belong here, I fit in here, there's purpose here, mm-hmm. there's worth here. Um, yeah, it turns out we all have to find that for ourselves. Um, and, and uh, yeah, for me, I found out naturally, oh, that it's, that it's inherent, that, we all, that we're all purposeful and, and, and worthy, but feeling that way right. can be a different story, especially yeah. growing up under the, the pressure of wrong, 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 and, right. and, the, and, and, the systemic, and the systemic effects of shame, which have been coming a lot, up a lot for me this year, just recognizing how shame is attached to every cell in the body. It's the most, uh, it's, but it also is, 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 is kind of a, a, a when, when observed through breath or meditation um, or, or just uh, getting to the root of an issue when 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 shame is looked in the face it's 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 about the equivalent of a junior high bully it it sort of realizes <laughs> oh shit i'm i'm found out i'm found out and i'm not i'm not all that you know terrifying or intimidating once once yeah. people just look at me and i can burn off from the surface the shame starts to to dissolve yeah. when when the fear is 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 
called out for the illusion it is. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. You know, and you you were saying that the the creation part, the the writing part, is is a way of of feeling of building that that connection to worth. And what I also know, and you also know, is that it's also a gift to the audience, whether they're reading on the page or in the room with you at the mic. You know, when you're sharing your stories through your poetry, you have people in that audience who are thinking, shit, I didn't know anybody else had that. This guy on the stage is saying these things, and he has the courage to be there and that gives me hope that I can get to a better place too. You know, there's a lot of connection and breaking down of isolation that happens when people are exposed to those words. So it's it's beneficial not only to the writer but also to the audience. Yeah, it's the secret. It's the secret hope that that's the mission accomplished. It's also pretty audacious and and self indulgent. It seems uh, on 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 some level, but I think it's with the ultimate hope of what you said of letting people know, look, you're not alone in this, and um, and specifically for me, it's about just not being at this point in my career and having spent 20 years around poets. It for me, it's about shifting the narrative away from tragic, just mm-hmm. the whole tragedy addiction of humans, especially artists, especially poets. Uh-huh. So do you have some of your work that's specifically humorous or lighter? Or what does that mean to you, that, that shift away from the traffic? Uh, yeah, humorous. humor seems essential. Comic relief, especially if, if I'm going to be unloading heavy or dense material on people, lines of comic relief feel essential. And, and, you know, at this point in my career, I know whatever I'm writing is going to be in front of an audience. So I intentionally uh, fold lines, com- comedy lines into whatever I'm going to be performing. But there's also uh, just exploring it in in ways that I think I think writers, artists, poets really love uh, sifting through that intensity, um, especially in the slam poetry world. Uh, and I've just been finding a way to, to achieve that without it needing to be about this miserable identity I've overcome, <laughs> you know, like on a general level. So as an example, I have a, there's a, I have a poem called We Were Emergencies. Um, that, uh, I know you were going to ask me to read a poem, so maybe I could just do that right now to, sure. to show, not tell what I'm talking about. Perfect. We can stick anything into the fog and make it look like a ghost. But tonight, let's not become tragedies. We are not funeral homes with propane tanks in our windows looking like cemeteries. Cemeteries. That's just the Earth's way of not letting go. Let go tonight. Let's turn our ridiculous wrists so far backwards that the razor blades and our pencil tips can't get a good angle on all that beauty inside. Step into this with your airplane parts. Move forward and repeat after me with your heart, not your mouth. I no longer need you to fuck me as hard as I hated myself. Make love to me. Like you know I am better than the worst thing I ever did. Go slow. I'm new to this. 
but I have seen nearly every city in the world from a rooftop without jumping. I have realized that the moon, it did not have to be full for us to love it, that we are not tragedy stranded here beneath it, that if my heart really broke, really, every time I fell from love, I'd be able to offer you confetti by now. But hearts don't break, y'all. They bruise and get better. We were never tragedies. We, we were emergencies. So you go ahead. You call 911. Tell them I'm having a fantastic time. <laughs> I love that. And, and I, that, that line, I am better than the worst thing I ever did, man. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, because that's where people get stuck sometimes. Gosh, I love that's in there. Yeah. Yeah. So what's yeah, I need a reference. No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, I was jokingly saying, and so what's the worst thing you ever did? And then I said, no, 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 we don't want to go there. <laughs> That's so that's 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 so interesting. I actually had to think about that the other night. That was on um, I think I was I think I was watching the leftovers or I don't remember what I was watching. That question came up and I became so happy in my body because I was laying there trying to think of the worst thing I ever did and it was really hard like I was trying to break it down in terms of I don't know manipulation or stealing or hurting someone, uh-huh. and I was having a hard time finding this supposed worst thing I ever did, and that in and of itself made me really happy inside. And then I I arrived at my answer and uh, turned flush red with a trip <laughs> down um, with a trip down Devastation Lane, and and uh, and uh, and. And realized, uh, you know, while I don't, I, I don't think I in, ever intentionally did, you know, this awful worst thing. Uh-huh. I think my blind spots may be responsible for the worst things I've ever done. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good thing to to believe about yourself that it's not intentional, you know. Um, yeah. And and I say that not lightly, but I mean when when that's really what we can realize is that. Yeah, man, I'm human, and sometimes I've made some mistakes, but I'm a good person. I don't intentionally love people. And, and what's more, I, I'm not just those things, and thank you, but also uh, being a growth junkie, once I find out about these blind spots, I'm just in there mining them immediately uh, uh, and killing that area to make sure that I uproot as much as possible because I'm just uh, – like I don't know if it's spiritual or metaphysical or whatever, however you want to refer to it. I'm just of the mindset that when I die, whatever's left of me is going to of my energy is going to translate and travel with me. And there is just the realization that most of this beast I do not want to take with me, not one more step. So I'm okay. happy to do as much work as I find out about that's necessary while I'm here this time around. All right. So get to shed some of that stuff. That's very good. Yeah. Yeah. So, which, which for me has happened the last years through through meditation, um, which has ended up being the love of my life and and uh, more. Uh, uh, I hate to use the word healing because it's such a wounded word, but, <laughs> but it's it's one of the it's one of the more healing 
things that I've that I've ever come across in in, in 43 years of seeking to essentially eradicate suffering at the root level. Mm-hmm. If you yeah, just a little light chatter this morning. Yeah, but if you, if you say a little bit about what your practice of meditation is like, because there are so many different ways that people might practice that, experience that. And, yeah. and, and, I'm, and I'm, it's I'm exhausting, in, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it, it seems exhausting. Before before Barnes & Noble had 10,000 different books on their shelves uh, covering Buddha and meditation and the ways to do it and everybody's interpretation and, you know, everybody's identities and image and bunheads strapped to the identity. Uh, it, it's... <laughs> You know, before before sandals were necessary for enlightenment, um, there was just this dude. There was just this dude kicking it under an olive tree. Mm-hmm. He had a lifetime or plural experience practicing. He sat down one night with strong determination. So I'm not leaving here until I'm enlightened. It happened for him. There's a, I think there's people living right now that are testaments to what's possible in, in terms of that trajectory, Eckhart Tolle being one of them. Um, and uh, and he, did, he, he had zero expectation or entitlement or pursuit of an identity or a religion around him. He, the dude just sat down to observe his breath and his sensations without reacting. Uh, to come out of habit patterns and blind reactions and eradicate his suffering at the root level and, and the karmic cycle of death and rebirth as far as as far as energy goes. And uh and so the kind that that I uh I go to is it's called Vipassana. Vipassana is a Pali word. It just means clear insight and uh it is about as fundamental as it gets. There's no idol worship, there's no rites, there's no rituals. There like we don't jam incense up our butt and twirl crystals around we we're we're all it's i've I've sat i've literally sat with the mayor of bainbridge island on one side of me and a homeless kid on the other side of me it's every gender ethnicity sexuality uh it's just these there's a it's dhamma.org if i may d-h-a-m-m-a.org um don't worry i'm not uh missioning for any religion, it's universal, it's non-sectarian, and uh, it's, it's, if anybody asks you for money, you're in the wrong place. It's <laughs> to get established in the technique, to be taught the technique, it's, it's, uh, it's, you gotta have, it's best to have 12 days because there's the day of registration, there's 10 days at the center, and then there's the day of re-entering back into <laughs> where you just came from 10 days earlier. Um, but uh, so it's a ten-day commitment. I mean, it's not a call. You can leave in the middle of it if you if you freak out or need to. But it's like getting up off the operating table. So if it's something you you're hearing this and you choose to do, make sure you've got those days cleared and you've got strong determination to sit. It's the first time I went. It was the most excruciating and rewarding thing I've ever done with with myself. And now the excruciating part is gone, and because I've got the practice but it's it's a full-on meditation it's it's 11 about 11 hours a day it's 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 silence it's no and then you know no reading or writing or distracting yourself or other people you're, you're there to just observe some sensations and uh and it's free room and board because it is and it's, it's entirely volunteer run um it started with one center i think in india and it is now a couple hundred centers around the world so yeah it's it, it's experientially 
in, in, again, in 43 years of seeking experientially, it's the only thing that's ever uh, had a, a profound physiological uh, effect on me. Interesting. And so what's your daily practice look like? So it's an hour. Uh, I know, I, I'm timid of scaring people about what's realistic for, for them. I've just okay. been doing it for 12 years, so it's okay. it's it's different. And and I've also, again, the 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 effects experientially have revealed themselves so sweetly that uh, it's it's an hour in the morning and an hour at night time. Um, I think some people hear that and feel like, oh, fuck it, that's impossible for me. <laughs> so I try to leave that part out of there okay, and sorry. just let them graduate into that reality themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the way that I'm going to summarize it is, is you you are involved with a meditation that's obviously very important and very helpful for you. You're not pushing it on anybody, but you're saying this is something that you found that really works. And, and you know, I think we, we both would also add that there are lots of different ways of meditation and people are welcome to explore what what is good for them yeah to not be so afraid of air that that one thing seven and a half billion of us are sharing that we actually that actually connects us <laughs> to not be so scared of it to actually observe it entering the body the touch of the breath and, and exiting the body and just maybe, just maybe the most obvious thing in the world is actually the most healing thing in the world if we mm-hmm. are present with it. And then what happens, the, the domino effect of what happens with presence starts to speak for itself as well. Mm-hmm. And I think Eckhart Tolle, going back to him again, covers it really nicely, both in The Power of Now and A New Earth, which is my all-time favorite book. It's also Oprah's favorite book, I should add. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a plus or minus, actually. <laughs> I'm I'm on I'm on a big Oprah kick right now, Marsha, because not only do I need her to be my not only do I need her to be my next president and and, and we have this and and we have the same favorite book. Uh but I just took the the, the Briggs Myers test or the Myers Briggs uh-huh. test. Uh-huh. And uh and and me, Barack and Oprah are all on the same jam. So I'm really excited about Oprah right now. She keeps coming up for me. <laughs> Okay, then. (laughs) Wow, I hadn't expected that at all. (laughs) Buddy Wakefield and Oprah Winfrey. Okay. (laughs) Wow. So, (laughs) you are a poet. Well, let me ask you that. Do you, how do you say that about yourself? How do you how do you describe your relationship with poetry? Uh, I avoided it all costs. If I, I, most of my career, I've <laughs> most of my career, it, it's hard because here you here sits on the phone with you right now, and this interview is this <laughs> is this essentially overcompensating gay dude who really didn't want to be gay and tried to deflect Aww. all attention away from it. And so there was yeah. this, no, no, I'm not fishing for an R or anything, but so I'm trying, <laughs> you know, I, I spent a lifetime deflecting attention for anything that showed up as gay. And then I became a poet for a living, <laughs> which is super gay. <laughs> <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> 
no, so I'm, it took me, it's taken me, uh, it's taken me the, the, the entirety of my, of, of my career up until probably the last two years when somebody asked me what I do to just say, I'm a poet. Okay. Um, and once I, once I, once I finally got comfortable with saying I'm a poet, then I decided to move to Los Angeles, uh, to break off from that and now I'm, I'm I'm here writing scripts and acting and doing my making my way out here and with uh, under the realization that wow if I if I actually just made a living as a poet for 20 years I can definitely do what I really wanted to do in the first place so I've come to LA to to explore that now and now now I'm finding myself trying to get comfortable with telling people I'm an actor with a straight face it only took me about 18 years to do it as a poet wait a minute what's this irony of I'm an actor with a straight face what's that supposed to you know, trying just just try, trying to trying to say that you know when living living in Los Angeles and telling someone you're an actor is is, uh-huh. is its own comical moment, and okay. in, in itself is its own comical moment to try. And, okay. I mean, it's not that it's unbelievable. It's just uh, it's very common. It's not. It's not. It's, <laughs> it's a really common experience out here, and and it I, elicits that same sort of thing that being a poet elicits. Like, oh, that's. That's cute. <laughs> well, I, I was asking you about how you identify your connection with poetry because I've, I, I'm, um, in my experience recently, for example, a poet who, somebody who, who writes poetry who's here in Lawrence, Kansas, Creed Shepherd, says that his way of describing it is that he is a poem maker. And Janetta Calhoun-Mish, who's the Poet Laureate of Oklahoma, says she is a practicing. Um, and and I'm still laughing at the fact that you, this gay man, use the phrase that you're having to tell people with a straight face <laughs> that you're an actor. And it's like, okay, right. but you don't have, do you have a straight face? <laughs> <laughs> that's how my brain works buddy <laughs> right on. what is a straight face <laughs> right anyway I'm trying I to keep I'm... my poker face on for sure <laughs> so as as you said it there's this thing about sort of an irony that at some point you who needed to hide your true self became this outspoken, literally, you know, on the stage, speaking loud poet. What what got you to that point that you would go to a stage, you know, that you could do that? You know, I was, uh, I was running, I started an open mic night in college, uh, playing guitar and singing songs I had written. I was always really confident in the lyrics not so confident in my guitar playing and singing. And at some point in 98, I was traveling around Europe with a couple of friends. And in Innsbruck, Austria, I saw a flyer on the ground, just a little square, simple flyer that said something about a poetry slam. I had no idea what poetry slam was. I just knew that it resonated uh, deeply with me to check this out. I didn't get to see it in Austria, but when I got back home, I saw a Time Magazine article that, that was written on Slam, uh, and I think Patricia Smith, and so I immediately looked it up in Seattle, and I went down and visited, and it was 
it was like the little bee girl in the blind melon video finding her people and i was just so so stinking happy that i could stop torturing people with my guitar playing and singing and i could just rock <laughs> my words out and um and so i was i was really i was really really amped up about the whole thing i was i think i was 23 at the time i was i still had a really uh uh unhealthy level of competitiveness about me and um was just fell for this gimmick called poetry slam to get people you know this gimmick to, to get people excited about poetry and uh and i saw that it was working and i and, and i just liked everything about the energy of it uh, I actually haven't slammed or, or been a, you know, a very integral part of the community since 2008. At, the, at this point, I've just been getting to do my own thing for the last 10 years or so. But but I definitely have to give a ton of credit to um, to Slam for the start of all this, uh, for, for getting me excited about poetry and what I was doing and what I had always been writing and didn't realize there was already a stage just waiting for me around it. Did that answer that? I, I I think I trailed off a little and, and missed the missed the the actual question. Well, I I was I'm really interested in in how you were able to go bare your soul basically in front of a bunch of people. You know, when there was that long time programming that you need to be ashamed of who you are. Hey, so yeah, great point. So again, playing to my highest excitement. Of course, I was nervous, uh, but I think the bearing my soul part was the exciting part. The okay. because I was so, I, you know, I, <laughs> frankly, and this isn't a personal thing. I, I don't love interviews just because I really love being a writer because I get to edit myself. I feel. Uh, I feel like I've been writing to my ideal self all of these years, and when I have time to edit whatever it is I have to say, I'm I'm, I'm much more happy with the outcome. And so, getting on stage is the most exciting part for me because it's my edited self. In terms of just having a phone conversation like we're doing now, or actually meeting anybody, uh, it puts me in fight or flight. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think I'm far more comfortable being my edited closer to my ideal self uh, on stage, at least in the big, so that was in 98 when I, when I started in that. And now, now it's been 20 years later and still totally riddled with uh, human and mistakes, but feel so much closer to my ideal self and, 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 and farther along on that trajectory and so much happier about it. But yeah, so I, I don't think it was a, I think I was excited to bear all. It wasn't a, you know, a big. There wasn't a, a, uh, any sort of process or need to build up a, a courage around it. It was just I didn't feel like I had a, any real options because it was the most exciting thing for me, and it was available. Uh-huh. Well, uh, and I and I hear you say it was excitement that uh, that a lot of the positive in your life is excitement driven, which is really cool to to think about that concept. I also heard you say, actually, it's a whole lot easier, less scary to do this thing on stage that I have carefully prepared for than to have those unscripted moments with people. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so your your first times at the mic would have been in slam and then you were able to move to to be more that featured performer is that right uh yeah yeah so i mean there were times before 98 you know when i when i got into slam there were definitely a, a, a state there was there was stage time in some regard but the first time with poetry or slam was Mm -hmm. was in 98 at the Oakley Hotel in Seattle, which doesn't exist anymore because of the earthquake. That's, oh. That sounds like some that sounds like some shit old people say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just qualified <laughs> I just qualified myself as the guy who can look back at the at the, at the, at the venue the earthquake took. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I started in 98 uh, uh, at the Oakley Hotel in Seattle and uh, um, the rest is not I yet what I'm answering. <laughs> yeah, the rest is not yet history. <laughs> and so I, I want to share that because there's Lawrence, Kansas is in basically the middle of the country. It's a it has both a state university and Haskell Indian Nations University, and it has that touch of that it's we've been influenced over over history with with people coming here from different places i mean obviously that's how our country was settled in general but but also um this was a very vibrant place with poetry in the 1960s and since and and when i've talked to people who are those longtime poets who have connections to lawrence one of the things that was so fun for me to learn was that the first poetry slams in Lawrence, Kansas also happened in the 90s. And the first venue was this place that is a strip club that's called the Flamingo Club officially and locally referred to as the bird. And so I'm talking to um, this a poet named Jim McCrary, who was a colleague of uh, a younger colleague of of William S. Burroughs, and you know he he doesn't Jim is not a person to drop names, but you know when you start getting him talking, it's like oh my god, you know all these beat poets and you know Hunter S. Thompson and all you know these like uh, the, yeah Kurt Cobain came and blah blah blah, you know it's like wow right. Um, so so he's telling me so so we do this poetry around the stripper poles and all the chairs in the in the place are on rollers and we don't want to think about why <laughs> and then i later and I, I later learned that a poet whose name you may recognize taylor molly taylor molly got his first experiences of performing poetry at this strip club in lawrence kansas when when taylor was living in this area and getting his mfa at the kansas state university which is oh is that true now. taylor started out there he started performing there yeah which i loved because i i recently connected him around he has a new chapbook it's called the wetting w-h-e-t-t-i-n-g stone that is poetry um related to his loss of his first wife to suicide anyway so so uh, when he when i 
when I learned that, that, you know, he's one of the people who performed by the stripper pole, that just kind of cracked me up. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. 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 So lots of good stuff happening around here. Um, and nice. Yeah. And that, so that memory, you know, that sense of, well, you started and yeah, the hotel's gone, things changed, <laughs> but it, it gave you a launch into something that has grown into something that's obviously very good for you and, and for people who experience you, you know, I, um, as, as I don't think we've mentioned on air yet, you're going to be um, performing at the Uptown Arts Bar in Kansas City, Missouri on March 22nd of 2018. And people are so excited to have this opportunity to, to be with you, you know, people who are going to be the poets uh, reading something before you and people being in the room. Uptown Arts Bar is this amazing venue of love and support for all people and, and poetry of all kinds and closely connected with Prospero's Bookstore, um, which features so much great local and other poetry. I think I read there a few years ago. And and Prospero's um, and there's this there are people in common with Jeanette Powers and Samantha Slipsky and um, Jason Prue and and Brandon Whitehead, some Kansas City folks who were with Jason Reberg of Prospero's, the the main organizers of this thing. That's an annual three day poetry and small press fest. That's now called um, Mountain Verse. That's coming up in October. So there's all this. There's great poetry stuff going on around here, which is, I guess, part of what I want to say. Um, welcome to this area where you will be soon. And also, there is love and excitement for you coming here. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. Thank you very much. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I. It makes me want to re-record this later with you when I'm awake. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I can be more, so I can be more clear and succinct and, 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 uh, but yeah, it is what it is. I'm really looking forward to being there. I actually, uh, I'm doing a residency in Georgia in the Chattahoochee Hills from March 3rd through the 16th and decided to pick up a rent a car and book a relatively last minute tour and knew that, uh, I wanted to come through Kansas city. There's a, there's a, a fantastic family out there. Uh, and, uh, the there's a, a a gentleman who's a scout for the for the uh, California Angels who uh, is from Lawrence, Kansas, and um, uh, sent a, a a a really nice email and ended up being in LA and uh, and was in the neighborhood. So uh, went out and, and and had dinner and then. Him and his him and his girlfriend uh, talked me into coming out to do a uh, a show out in, or, or to seek seek out doing a show out there, and um, so I was happy to include it on the on the route this time and to and to come in contact with you. You were so generous with your with your time and and listing out all the possibilities of venues and places to perform in town, which is really helpful and isn't something everybody does when booking a tour. So thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. So then I get to put you on the spot. How about another poem by Buddy Wakefield? (laughs) 
Wow. I they named me it. Kenneth. <laughs> they named me Kenneth Zane Beasley III. At age five, I was adopted by a truck driver and became Buddy Marshall Stevens. Didn't much care for that. A number of reasons. So I changed it to Buddy Wakefield. My name is Buddy Wakefield. I am part saint, part fraud. Being human has been a largely humiliating experience. I would say that it's been humbling, but I suspect humble people don't use that word. They humble up, buttercup. We got ourselves some happy names, don't we? Got ourselves in a pickle, friends. There are no stunt doubles performing the devastation and losing everything. Maybe we are losing everything on purpose. There's a good chance I'm a bad person trying to do something right. It turns out everyone is right. It turns out we are happening so fast, y'all. The whole world so fast. Yesterday, I was 23. The day before that, I was nine. And none of the soured relationships were worth my need to be right. Y'all, happiness, it's too far to fall. And you, my love, you were a skyscraper tabernacle, mouthful of water, beautiful and too far to fall. Oh, but look at us take a tumble quake. Yeah, look at us take our lumps. Look, everybody's headed for the pass again to cut each other off. If my whole body and if your whole body, if every single one of our bodies got amputated right now, we would still have to deal with what's left of us. Everything we ever ordered. The waiter, who is very famous for telling stories to make people feel like they feel better than they actually do. The waiter strutted up to our table, a cocky lion walking straight into the mouth of the whale and said, put it in God's hands. I said, boy, we are God's hands. Stop standing like an apology you never meant to give. Your context is unruly. The waiter reached across my audacity, evenly placed the silverware, then politely replied, Sir, you don't know me. You know a mistake I made. Now, who ordered the worst case scenario? Maybe I did. Maybe you. Maybe on purpose until everyone in the whole world found out everything we were ever terrified of being found out about and no one was impressed with our nightmare. Air does not have an ego. Pay attention. Then when it enters and exits, each one of us feels desire inside them and can point to it on a map. Stop acting like you don't know which direction your life is going. It is hysterical, Lawrence, pretending to be something you're not. The loneliness is so goddamn blunt. Everything here on the ground is a trigger. Don't expect to be warned again. You're a full-grown jawbone, though I have zero proof that any of us are adults. But there is still a voice inside me that believes we will make miracles of the laughter left between us recently. I discovered a word that will fix everything I broke in our home. Rescued it from my body. And passed it on to people who will use it properly. You finally leaned over to my ear, whispered so close to my throat it fogged up the knife, spoke what you thought was my name until I could not remember where it is I came from, and patiently waited for me to explain what in God's crippled name I am even talking about. So I clinched your history, and I pulled it out of repeat. I loved you forever. While we, while we all sang these words, like a choir of honest killers, learning to leave the beast behind. If I go forth from this world without you, I did not forget to survive, the both of us.
Wow. There's so many parts to that, that, that I'd hear a phrase and my brain would stick there for a while. And that's the way my brain works. So I lose pieces and then I hear pieces and, and, and it reminds me of the, the guest having that poetry writing as well, right? Because then I can look at it and, and kind of slowly get that experience and still hear it in your voice because I've heard you read it. That's the best to me. Right. Nice. And I, I want to ask, because of your, your comments earlier about you're in, living in Los Angeles at this point, you're writing scripts and acting. It's uh, a new phase of your art. Will you continue creating some poetry or are you seeing that as um, kind of being left behind? I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to keep doing what excites me. And um, right now, I think I'm quite excited in the realization that often I feel like poetry is something people get to move through. And I feel like I've been in this place for a long time, for a couple decades. And uh, I'm excited to step away from the constant mining of my own words and, uh, and, 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 this identity I've built around poetry and this, and this really uh, involved and intense personal process through it, I'm excited to lighten up a little more. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to be here and acting and writing scripts. And I'd like to land a job on a, a, a writing show, a, a writing for a show, preferably Damon Lindelof, who did, who did The Leftovers. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just excited to move to to generally lighten up more. Um, I feel really supportive of the poetry world. I feel really thrilled that that medium is there, that that platform for voice is there, that, that it's become so much more accessible in recent times, that, that, uh, that people have a place to really voice who they are and what they're about. And, um, and I'm always stoked to, to know that that's, that that's a, that's a realm I get to reenter anytime I want to, but I do look forward to not being such a a big part of of the energy field of poetry. I guess I was trying to find a way around that uh, languaging, but that's all I got. That's okay. That's okay. So it's it's time for you to to move into your acting more fully. So I'm thinking that you you have this this uh, event in Kansas City on March 22nd. Are you winding down then in the poetry performances? So for me, there's there's just no limit. I'm, I mean, it's it's uh it's something I still like to do. I uh I it, I'm gonna do this this uh this tour after the residency. I've got another tour coming up in October in Europe, and um and and I've got shows in April uh, in Utah in the Northwest. So there's there's always going to be stuff that just doesn't need to be as intense as it previously has been. You know, I've been on a perpetual tour since 2001 and it's quite nice to be winding out of 
out of the the hustle and the drive of it. It it does pay the bills generally. So mm-hmm. so I uh I honor and respect it. I just um I am looking forward to uh intentionally creating some distance there. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, and and uh 2018 is the year for people who would like to experience you in person if they're in one of those areas of the country where you will be your your um website tour info shows plans through november of 2018 at this point so people and i think it's worth noting that for the lawrence show uh the last we checked i think there's like 15 tickets left or something as of yesterday, so it's worth noting that if folks, if somebody, if somebody listening really, <laughs> really wants to come after hearing my sleepy ass talk for an hour, um, <laughs> then, then now's the then now's the time now's the time to make it happen. Yeah. Okay. So good reminder that that you can get those tickets for the performance March twenty second in Kansas City at the Uptown Arts Bar. You can get them if you get them soon, but if you wait till that time in all likelihood there is not going to be any opportunity to get in the door there are safety rules and such (laughs) right right we don't want any spontaneous combustion at the uptown arts bar (laughs) right i'm sure looking forward to it as well Uh yeah that's gonna be and i'll meet you there i suspect yes I may be there. I may um, be saying to somebody, you can have my ticket. So I'm not going to make a 100% commitment at this point. Okay. I'll be there in spirit through somebody or personally, and that is yet to be determined. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was vague and, and enigmatic, but all right. <laughs> But true, all of the above. <laughs> okay. Are you wrapping up book? And, and is that what I understood in terms of another poetry collection that will probably be coming out? Or is the writing? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh-huh. I'm really looking forward to it. It's the first one since 2011 uh, when I released Gentleman Practice. Uh, actually, I, I released a book called Stuntwater a couple of years ago, but it's basically my first three books, which I put out of print and, and, and just put them all, all the good stuff in, in one book. But as far as a, a book of new material, I haven't released anything since Gentleman Practice in 2011. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to it and, uh, and, and looking forward to finishing up, hopefully, most, if not all of it, at this upcoming residency in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So do you have a sense of when that is likely to become available? My senses tell me 2019, the beginning of. Mm -hmm. Okay. So people should. I was just going to say people should check your, your media and that will be the way to know when the book is coming, but likely after the turn of the next year in early 2019 yeah absolutely absolutely and that's not set in stone it could be sooner it could be a little later but uh-huh. um but buddywakefield.com there's a there's a mailing list on there 
to make things super easy. That does. Those mailing lists. <laughs> Get some good stuff there. So screenwriting, acting, moving somewhat away from poetry, but there's still time to experience your poetry and there will always be those books, which is a cool thing, a very cool thing. And, and it's even cooler for those people who see you in person and also get you to sign them. People probably get tired of me saying this, but man, I think there's nothing better than buying that from the book person when they're at a performance. You know, if you can't do that, check out the press that published it. If you can't figure out quite how to do that or that press doesn't actually directly sell, ask your local independent bookseller to get you that book. Because <laughs> I think I might need you at the show because I'm a horrible salesman and you're doing a really nice job of selling my book. Well, because it's so important to, to me that we need to have art available and we need to recognize that people who create art need to get paid for that. You know, I'm, I, I don't want my listeners, my it's friends. It's good. Yeah, yeah, sure. You don't have to buy everything. But, but I mean, if for those people who think, well, but I can read so much stuff for free online, it's like, yes, you can. When you only read online, you're not helping create, keep that art available, you know? Um, and so that's why I, I am always an advocate for buying it as close to the source as possible. And for that joy of, man, when you've heard something that you like, when you've heard it in person, whether it's, or heard it aloud, when you've heard the words in the writer's voice, and then you, then you can have that book in your hand too, that is so amazing. And I, I see these people coming in and out of these coffee shops, for example, you know, and it's like, can you just spend six bucks on that coffee drink? You could have bought a poetry book with that six bucks and a few more. Come on. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah. I believe in that. I, I, I really... I really believe in it. You know, it's it's obviously I'm saying, you know, I, I appreciate what you're sharing in both, you know, in your, in your poetry and in this conversation. And I think it's important for people to get that benefit, you know, for people to experience art. I, I think probably people who I work with in my social work practice are surprised sometimes when we talk about things that might be helpful to them. And I say, hey, you know, if you would like to borrow this book, it's like it's poetry. It's like, yeah, it is. And and see if there are some of those words that really resonate for you. You're welcome to do that. And this poet and that poet has, have written these writing exercise books. You know, let's let's try a couple of those and see if that kind of gets some things loosened up for you. You know, I I think there yeah. are so many different ways that poetry is beneficial. My I have a friend who's a retired journalist, Dave Ranny, and he invited me. We're going to be going into um, a women's prison in Topeka, and he. Oh, great! Yeah, and it's and it's about writing. And he said so much has come up about suicide, and so that's why he asked me if I would go with him. And and then he said, well, you know, could you would you recommend you know some some certain poems for us to use as part of the discussion? It's like absolutely, you know. 
And so I, I, we only, we only get to bring in a small amount of paper and that kind of stuff, you know? So it's like, okay. Um, he said two or three. And I said, well, how about three or four if a couple of them are, are a little bit short, you know? And so, so different poems that really, that are written by people who are outstanding poets who also have experience with suicide loss and or suicide attempts and, and who's this, you know, so I, I just put together a set of four and, and they speak to different experiences of, in what I call living with suicide. And, and in doing that, it, it gives that reminder that lots of people are affected by this. And when we can talk about it out loud and peel off those layers of shame, man, we have a much better chance of helping people stay glad that they're alive and be able to stay alive. So I'm, I'm, I'm a huge awesome. advocate for, for art, for art being a way to connect. I'm so appreciative of, you know, the, the thing that happened that I was, you and I connected and do this low key show and you're going to do this powerhouse performance at Uptown Arts Bar and everybody's excited and lots of benefit. Um, we have actually reached an hour of our time. All right. And yeah, so so we're at that that uh, wind down time. Um, what final words would you like to say for this podcast? That is to our listeners. Uh, <laughs> I'm really quite looking forward to being in Kansas City, and uh, the welcome has already been quite warm from everybody that I've had contact with right now to the venue owner. Uh, who's who seems really excited, and it's always a it's always a welcoming feeling, especially as a poet when somebody's that excited uh, for me for me to come in and and seems to know what's up. Uh, it it allows me to yeah I appreciate the good vibes coming into it. So yeah, I'm just excited to be there and uh, have a great show. I'll be uh I'm literally I'm driving in from Des Moines to I'm visiting my aunt um, in the middle of that tour. Uh, gonna drive in from Des Moines that day and I have to drive out at night right after the show for St. Louis, so I won't get to stay long. But I'm really thrilled for the for the two hours of presence that we'll all have with each other. Wonderful. St. Louis has a great poetry community too, so I hope you get a great welcome there as well. So, listeners, this has been an hour of talk with me with Buddy Wakefield. Um, you can find more about him and get on the mailing list to learn about the release of a book coming out probably at the beginning of 2019. His website is buddywakefield.com. You can find out where he's going to be across the world, not just in the U.S., um, in the next year or so on his tour page of his website you're in my area, you have a chance in Kansas City if you get that ticket soon enough while there's still some available for March 22nd at the Uptown Arts Bar. And and I've really enjoyed being able to talk to you, buddy. Thank you so much. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. I sure appreciate you. You are welcome. And thank you to Daniel Smith, who does all that tech magic that he can do so we get to have listeners actually hear the conversation. And thanks to listeners. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> thanks to all in, you know, listening, hearing, spreading the word, suggesting guests, offering, you know, to be on the show, letting more people know more poetry, because it's a good thing. And so long to all. Bye.